0: Welcome to this podcast from the Rheumatology and Arthritis Learning Network. I'm your moderator, Rebecca Mashaw. With me today are Dr. Brian England, Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Rheumatology at the University of Nebraska Medical Center and Director of its Autoimmune Lung Disease Clinic in Omaha, Nebraska, and Dr. Benjamin Smith, who's the Program Director and Associate Dean of the School of Physician Assistant Practice at Florida State University's College of Medicine in Tallahassee, Florida. Both served in the Interprofessional Guideline Development Group that recently produced updated guidelines uh, for the American College of Rheumatology on exercise, rehabilitation, diet, and additional interventions as part of an integrative management approach for people with rheumatoid arthritis. Thank you both for joining us today. This is the first guideline that ACR has produced on how exercise, diet, and other interventions can be integrated along with the use of DMARDs in managing RA. What ha- caused uh, ACR to look at producing this sort of guideline right now, Dr. England? So thanks for having us on to talk about this guideline. You know, this guideline
1: really came out of the pharmacologic treatment guideline you know, the ACR has produced several iterations of the pharmacologic treatment of rheumatoid arthritis. And, you know, we've understood from other uh, disease states and other guideline efforts that there are, you know, interventions in addition to medicines that can be very impactful for patients. So as the last iteration of the pharmacologic guideline was being produced, uh, there were discussions of how we could integrate some of these additional uh, interventions besides medicines. And what we realized was, that effort really required its own focused project. It required its own separate team with more expertise, and so from that pharmacologic treatment was born this additional guideline on integrative intervention.
2: Yeah, Bryant really summed things up very nicely. Of course, of how this came to be, you know, I think the timing is 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 really very good. Uh, you know, with RA being a sy- systemic inflammatory condition, a chronic condition. Both patients and providers are looking for the pharmacologic interventions to make a difference, but also the non-pharmacologic as well, and and really seeking guidance of how to to manage or navigate with these integrative treatment approaches. And I think that lends itself to the timeliness of, of what this is.
0: You developed 28 recommendations for the use of integrative interventions in conjunction with DMARDs for the management of RA. Could you give us an overview of which of these recommendations were the strongest and why?
2: That's a wonderful question, uh, Rebecca. I think the title really helps to understand the organization. The the real group, the core group that that brought this guideline together and helped to Uh, to lay things out and develop the plan, Uh, this this idea of exercise, rehabilitation, diet, and additional integrative uh, interventions uh, really served as a guide uh, for us as we uh, thought about this, began to look at the literature, and and develop and ask uh, questions. I I think the last element of that, this uh, additional integrative uh, interventions, really Also describes well the the many, many things that were considered by this group uh, as we developed these 28 uh, questions that we went to the literature to to find answers to. So that's a general structure uh, for this uh, that we we wanted to approach this in an orderly and and intentional way uh, to to provide a a very valuable uh, resource uh, for colleagues and, and, and for patients as well.
1: Agree with Ben, you know, the structure was really helpful uh, for us as we thought through the evidence, and hopefully it's really helpful for uh, patients and providers as they they use this document. Now, you know, Ben really nicely outlined all these different domains that we looked at. There was only one specific area, though, where we were able to make a strong recommendation. And that one strong recommendation was that uh, we should uh, encourage our patients and help them to consistently engage in exercise. And the reason that was a strong recommendation is, you know, we found moderate level evidence that by doing that, we can improve pain and we can improve function. And these are really important outcomes for patients with rheumatoid arthritis. Now, while we could make a strong recommendation about exercise in general, we didn't have the evidence that we could make a strong recommendation about specific types of exercise. So the types of exercise, when we looked at them individually, aerobic, resistance, mind body, aquatic, those were all conditionally recommended, but we didn't have the evidence for them individually to make that a strong recommendation. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't do those, right? Uh, Those are all parts of a a comprehensive exercise program. So if you look at other national health guidelines, like those by the Department of Health and Human Services, all of those different components of exercise would be part of a recommended exercise program for
0: adults. Doesn't it always come down to whatever exercise you will do and that you enjoy doing and that keeps you consistent is the one you should probably be focusing on.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. And that's something I think the group really recognized. And, and we did have some data, some literature about various forms of exercise. And that's where the, the discussion with the patient and and the healthcare provider really uh, comes into play uh, and in and, and consideration. The other piece is that
1: You know, rheumatoid arthritis affects people differently. And, you know, as we think about taking recommendations on exercise from the general population, people with rheumatoid arthritis, you know, we have to be able to modify them a little bit. You know, for example, if someone has a flare of their rheumatoid arthritis, you know, in their feet, you know, it's gonna be very difficult for them to maybe continue a walking program while they have that flare. They might be able to modify that where they could get into the pool, and do more, uh, aquatic based exercise at that time, they may be able to do resistance training, particularly if it's more upper extremity, uh, you know, predominant. So little adaptations like that is part of why in rheumatoid arthritis, it's hard for a one
0: size fits all exercise program. That makes a lot of sense. You also had a number of conditional recommendations. Can you tell us a little about those?
2: I think the conditional uh, recommendations are really important to look at. And it really, Bryant, I'll segue to what he just said. Uh, You know, everyone's manifestations of RA, of those who have RA, are are different. And we've got lots of modalities, lots of interventions that can be considered, you know, based on the patient choice. I I think this is a great opportunity to describe briefly the, the great approach to review the evidence. And it really is gathering the evidence in, or asking the questions, gathering the evidence, uh, seeing what's available to us, having that team, the, the, the core team, the voting panel team come together and, and review that, but together with the patients who we'll talk about for sure and get their feedback on things to therefore move forward with these guidelines. And so based on the evidence that we have available, you see just a number of, of conditional recommendations, uh, you know, spanning each of the domains, but each of them are valuable um, and, and recognized conditionally in the right patient uh, could be very hopeful in treating their, their RA. Brian certainly has things to add in this, in this way as well.
1: Yeah, I think Ben has ben nailed it here. You know, one of the things that was really fruitful, and I suspect Ben would agree with this guideline effort, was, was the teamwork uh, that really goes into caring for a patient with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, You know, they may look at a rheumatology professional as sort of their, you know, their point of contact or quarterback of the team, uh, but that, that's not how you have a winning team with one person. And so, I think what we've realized and one of the things I take to my clinic now is I see my role a little bit different. I see my role as also a bit of a coordinator, someone who has to see what, what is my patient need right now that maybe is the expertise I don't have. So as we look at this conditional recommendations, we have several conditional recommendations for rehabilitation interventions. And I realize I'm not an expert in all of those, but I do have physical therapists and occupational therapists who are experts in those and i can get them connected with them and they can help them assess which one of these modalities might they benefit the most from how can we get this fit the correct way so that the patient will use it is the patient using it the appropriate way and after using this device you know are we getting the results that we want so i think that's just one example of how we can build these interprofessional teams that can really get the expertise to the patients that they need
0: one interesting fact that i noticed in reading your study about this group is that you included three patients with RA in your guideline committee. So how did that come about? Why were they included? And what perspective did they provide that you think was really important in developing this guideline?
2: Yeah, what's interesting about because there was a larger group of patients who, who provided feedback. There were some very instructive questions that they were asked and And we took that feedback as represented by a, a facilitator who attended that session and three uh, patients who participated on the voting panel. And without fail, when when the patient spoke, we all listened very intently to to what they were saying. And you know it was helpful for me at you know to to accomplish the objective of developing the skyline to hear what was being said and how it was being said, but as I go back to clinic now, I think about that. It often echoes in my ears as as I'm helping others with with rheumatoid arthritis. It's certainly part of the process. It's an invaluable element uh, and variable a needed necessity in this guideline development. Uh, As we work towards evidence-based medicine, uh, it's just an important element to have the patient voice in what we do.
1: Agreed. The patients have really insightful uh, comments about, you know, living with rheumatoid arthritis and, you know, how they may use some of these interventions. And, you know, I still think back to the the messages they shared with us and how valuable it was. So, for example, a couple things I thought were really powerful was, you know, as we discussed some of these interventions that maybe didn't have as much evidence, you know, as a clinician and researcher, I'm always looking for evidence. And one of the, as we were discussing one of those interventions, one of the patients said, you know, I understand there's not as much evidence here, but this is a, one of the few interventions that I can control at my house. Doesn't require specialized equipment, doesn't require expensive, you know, visits to someone. This is something that, yeah, there isn't double-blind randomized controlled trial, but I can do this in my house for low cost. It's really simple. And I thought that was a really enlightening point.
0: That is very interesting. How do you think or hope this guideline will affect the practice of rheumatoid arthritis management in the clinic?
2: One of our guiding principles, which, which are included in the manuscript, was the fact that this guideline should be coupled with the pharmacologic guideline. And I, th- th- we, we can't forget that. I, I think that's tremendously important uh, to remember. And again, Bryant described early on kind of that historical element of how this guideline came to be. Um, but, but I think the coupling of these together is so valid. And I, I think when we couple the two guidelines together in the treatment of RA, which this is specific to RA, um, I, I think... Patient satisfaction, quality of life. I think all of those things can, can increase uh, when we when we think about the, these two guidelines uh, together.
1: I completely agree. The we cannot when this guideline comes out, you know, one of the things we want to front and center is we've made strides and strides of progress in rheumatoid arthritis because of disease modifying therapies. And we wanna continue the optimal use of disease modifying therapies, treating to target, early diagnosis, all of those principles, those haven't gone away. What we're doing is we're trying to provide more holistic care. So in addition to now that we have good medicines, we have treat to target, we have good disease activity measures, that's great. But let's build on that. Let's also now discuss with our patients, what are we do in activity level wise? Are we meeting our physical activity goals? What are those goals? Can we help you achieve those goals despite having rheumatoid arthritis? Taking those additional steps to really optimize long-term outcomes uh, is really what I hope to see coming from this. Building these interdisciplinary teams, setting these long-term goals and helping people live full, long lives.
0: And you've already addressed some of the points in my next question, which is, how do you apply this guidance to your own practice? Because you mentioned You have occupational therapists and physical therapists and other professionals. Is that part of the whole thing is understanding the roles of all the different people in the multidisciplinary team?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, understanding our role, engaging these different team members when the right situation comes up. One of the other things that was part of our discussion that came out was this idea of a menu, And, you know, one of the things that's helpful for us is giving patients an idea of what might be out there, uh, because oftentimes they aren't aware. And even if they are aware, you know, so the first visit, we diagnose them with rheumatoid arthritis. We talk about what is rheumatoid arthritis. We talk about what life looks like with rheumatoid arthritis. We talk about disease modifying therapies. And then, you know, now we may talk with them about some of these integrative interventions that's a lot to throw at a patient at a first visit or first couple of visits. So one of the things I think I've realized is, you know, we may have to revisit that. A few, you know, a couple encounters down the road, go back to, hey, you know, let's just briefly discuss again what's out there because you know, what their capacity to handle may have changed, what they're looking for may have changed. Um, so I think just that over time, kind of revisiting this conversation periodically.
0: Implementing changes in diet and exercise, this is always a challenge, whatever the disease state, whatever, uh, whether it's autoimmune or just ordinary osteoarthritis or any other condition, it's hard to do. Patients struggle with it. I think physicians also struggle with how to help them. So what advice would you give your colleagues on how you think they can best help patients begin and then sustain these kinds of additional interventions in working on creating a healthier diet that they can and will follow and enjoy and finding a way to move that it doesn't exacerbate their pain but in fact may help relieve it. How do you go about doing that?
2: So this this was a, a very notable discussion uh, as, as the guideline was being being developed. And, and we've, we've hinted about this uh, a few minutes ago in, in one of the responses and, and points that we made. And I think it's all about, you know, recognizing uh, the, the desires and interests that the patient has and, and their situation as it relates to d- disease manifestations, but also as it relates to uh, perhaps socioeconomic uh, things that the patient encounters and and their experience in those ways as well. And so I think when we think about, in this case specifically diet and exercise, it gives us an opportunity to recognize that individual patient's needs and desires, and and this concept of shared decision-making, which we often talk about, uh, but this is a, a true opportunity with this one strong recommendation for, and multiple conditional recommendations where we can balance those things out and still do very good, uh, you know, for the patient and, and, and make a, a real difference. So I, I think it, it's it's discussions, it's conversations uh, that lead us to providing encouragement, change if needed, uh, but certainly, uh, you know, supporting a patient in their, in their rheumatoid arthritis journey. Completely agree.
1: I think mean, Ben nailed it. One last simple thing I think for people is just simply bring up this discussion with patients. Wow. You know, I, I think that sometimes, uh, you know, when patients come to see the rheumatology professional, they think all that we care about is are my joints swollen and what med am I taking my medicines. And I think what this guideline may help is help facilitate this conversation so that you know patients feel comfortable coming in and talking about, you know, I'm not able to exercise like I was. You know, I understand that my knuckle may not be swollen four times the size that it normally is, uh, but like I can't do the exercise that I want to do. I'm not, you know, feeling as good just overall because I'm not able to exercise. And I think, you know, maybe there was a little disconnect between the patient-provider realizing what, you know, we were interested in, and uh, we certainly are interested in their physical activity levels. And we, as rheumatologists, probably have to bring that question up to kind of create that habit and that space where they feel comfortable uh, letting us know.
0: And would that also give you some clues about the, the disease activity? So let's say that they don't have particularly swollen joints, but they don't feel really well. That is going to give you a hint. Is it not about whether their medical therapy is working or the whether there are other aspects of their care that may not be actually achieving the goals that you want to achieve when it comes to treatment? Absolutely. So any final thoughts about your experiences in creating a new guideline and implementing its recommendations in practice? I'm going
2: to repeat something that Bryant shared because for me, this was the most impactful thing that I took away and, and hopefully I'm, I'm doing a wonderful job applying it in, in, in clinic. And, and that is we've got lots of integrative interventions that we can utilize. And what I heard uh, from our, our wonderful patient experts who who participated was, let us know what these things are, and you know help us along the journey, know when to consider or to utilize these interventions, and 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 we can direct that even though as Brian said we may not be experts in this intervention or that intervention we know that it exists, but but we as as providers, and and then. As other healthcare professionals in rheumatology are providing care for patients with rheumatic disease, we can help guide them to make decisions of know when to employ or when to utilize those interventions early on. Um, and certainly, we're, we're 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 careful how we do that and how we share these interventions. You know, as a new diagnosis comes, you know, sometimes our ears go off, but we want to share those things that are available. And help the patient with rheumatic disease, with RA, know uh, when to employ them or when a potentially opportunity to employ these interventions exists. That was such a wonderful take home message uh, for me.
0: Dr. England, anything to add?
1: No, I think, you know, I'm always a, you finish a guideline effort like this, you have a lot of appreciation for all the people who are, are part of the guideline effort. All, you know, you'll look at the author list and it's a huge author list and for additional people in the acknowledgements. And, you know, it's a really a massive undertaking to go out and search for all these studies to find all that evidence and pull all of that together. Uh, so I appreciate it. Everybody contributed to this so we can help our patients live, you know, long, happy lives.
0: And that's the ultimate goal, right? Absolutely. Well, thank you both very much for spending this time with us. This has been an interesting conversation, and I'm sure that we'll be hearing more about the application of these recommendations to the practice. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you.